and we will jump in. Uh, I'm excited about the message the Lord's put on my heart for today. Last week, we talked about the 23rd Psalm. We talked about how David just had this unique relationship with the Lord. And today, we're going to do something known as a juxtaposition. Now, that's a big word that simply means I'm going to do a comparison between King David, if you will, and King Saul. And looking at these two, you're going to see they approach life very differently. They approach their jobs very differently. One became so familiar in his job, he no longer needed God. You ever known anyone like that where they become so familiar with what they do and how they do it, they don't even need your opinion, much less God's opinion? Sometimes that's the way we operate. We operate out of a familiar text, what's familiar to us. This is why I love the 23rd Psalm and how David pins it. He says, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he says, he makes me lie down. Now, when, when you're made to lie down, that means that you're not in control. Someone else is making you do this. And this is what I love about our Lord because David's talking about finding rest in the most inopportune times. A little bit later, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup overflows. He's rested, and yet last week we learned that during the time that he penned these words, he's he's in a cave in Agilum. He's pressed in by King Saul. King Saul wanted his life. David had not even trained his army, much less had an army really with him at that time. Just a few men that came to serve. But when you, by the time you start reading and studying Saul and kind of what happened with Saul, Saul had a lot of opportunities, but he was just too familiar with what he did and how things were done. If you'll please stand for the reading of the scripture this morning. It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 31. Just to give you a little bit of history here, this is King Saul once again. He's fighting with the Philistines, which is something he was very familiar with. King Saul was a warrior. He was a big man, stood a head taller, shoulders, most people were shoulder height to King Saul. Great, big, strong warrior. He's doing something that he's very familiar with, but he's become so familiar that he no longer thinks that he needs the Lord or his help. And we'll pick up the reading. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Then the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, and he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together on the same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that their Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled, and the Philistines came and occupied them. You may be seated. You know, every one of us is about to re-engage, if you will. There's many school teachers here that are about to re-engage. You're so excited about the opportunity that lies right in front of you. 
known as children, my children. There's many of us that as the summer ends, our life speeds up and we've enjoyed this time of rest, if you will, the time that, that God has called us to, to, to be still and to know that he is God. And we've enjoyed this time in our life. There's a lot of things that, that happen as we come into the fall and we enter into the fall. The cheerleaders are busy. The football teams are doing two-a-days. All kinds of school activities have already started. The bands are already uh, lining up and learning how to march and learning how to play and finding themselves on the field. And for many of us that may not have anything to do with school or anything else, we just know that the fall tends to speed us up. It's the end of the fiscal year. It's the beginning of putting budgets together. But for, for many of us, we're so familiar with how things ought to operate that our familiarity causes us not to look for rest in this busy season, much less hear the Lord. We need a healthy way to re-engage, to re-engage into life. Saul was a familiar king, but through his familiarity with things, he forgot the most important thing, which was his God. As I stated in Bravehearts a couple of years ago, the sword that he sharpened for others would be the sword that would take his own life. Saul was killed by his own sword, but something got to him long before the sword, the sword of stress. And as life went along, that sword became very big and it became very powerful. This morning, we're going to look into the life of Saul and, and what could have caused things possibly to have looked different for Israel, looked different in our own history. Some of us are like Saul. We are our worst enemies. We don't need anyone else to kill us. The way we live our lives is building the sword that's going to do that very thing if we don't change some things. There was something different about King David. King David, regardless of what was taking place on the outside, he knew who his Lord was on the inside. And because of that, he had peace. And because of that, he was led by God himself. Saul was anointed with oil by Samuel. Let me say it this way. Saul was anointed by God. King Saul was God's anointed. He was God's chosen. If you will, the people cried out for a king. They didn't have to have a king, but they wanted to be like all the other nations. And so they, they determined in their hearts, we need a king. We don't need a prophet. A prophet was the one who heard from God and told them how they should live their life and how they should follow God, but they wanted to be like all the other nations, and so they asked God to give them a king, and so God chose for them King Saul, a valiant warrior. Samuel would kiss him. Samuel, Samuel was the prophet in this day. He has his support. He is made commander over the Lord's inheritance. Samuel tells Saul there will be three signs to confirm your kingship. You will find two men by Rachel's tomb. They will speak to you. You will go to the terebinth tree at Tabor. Three men will meet you with three goats, three loaves, a skin of wine. Whoa, I'd like to break that down and talk about what those things represent. Maybe in the next couple of weeks. Stay with me. A group of prophets then uh, will be there. And it says, the scripture says, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And from there, you must go to Gilgal and wait for seven days for Samuel and then sacrifice to the Lord. Look, I want to convince you of this this morning, church, that King Saul, we pick on him, we kind of throw him out, we kind of say, boy, he's, he's so different from King David, but I want you to hear something. He was chosen by God. He was anointed for the task of living, of leading the Israelites, but something 
went wrong, majorly wrong. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 34, it says, And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, when you come, uh, if you know anything about Scripture, you've probably heard this said a time or two, that, that the Lord never repents for what he does. Doesn't have to. The Lord is perfect. Now, remember, the Lord didn't want them to have a king. The people wanted a king, and the Lord went ahead and blessed them with this king, but this particular king decided he was no longer going to follow the Lord. He was going to follow what he was familiar with. I know how to lead. I know how to fight. I'm a mighty warrior. I know how to train armies, legions of armies. I know how to occupy territory, overtake territory. I know how to make the enemy pay. I'm familiar with this life. I'm familiar with how the prophets prophesy. And this would be what ultimately would really get him in trouble. That he was familiar with how the prophecies, the prophets prophesied. He was familiar with how the prophets as, as well as Samuel, when Samuel would come in and he would sacrifice, King Saul was familiar with how to sacrifice before the Lord. In, in many ways, he saw himself as a priestly leader if you will. He was very familiar with the traditions that had been laid out and even the traditions that he had started himself. Now look, this gets him in trouble. Sometimes this is how we live our lives. We are so familiar with one another that we no longer regard one another in honor. We become so familiar with each other that we no longer respect or honor the person, much less the position that they hold. Now, some of this in King Saul's uh, uh, defense, he created because he fought alongside of the soldiers that he led. Now, that is great leadership, by the way, but many would begin to treat him as though he were their equal, as though they could offer their voices into how he should lead and what he should do. Familiarity caused others to treat him as common church. This is one of the problems that we have, not just in the church today, but in our culture today. We treat one another as though they're common instead of as though they were created by God himself. Treating one another as common means that we are so familiar with those in our family that they're nothing more than a brother or a sister or a mother or a father. And it starts with a family, but let me tell you, this bleeds. It bleeds out. And we start treating each other as familiar. And what happened with King Saul is people not only treated him as familiar, but he would begin to treat others, including the prophet of the Lord, as familiar. Just another person that's in my life to help make things happen. There were three things that would have changed the outcome on King Saul. And there are three things that I want us to hear today as far as application for our own lives. Because if we're going to be led as David was led of the Lord, we've got to hear these things that David was willing to do. One, he was willing to recognize. He was willing to recognize the Lord for who he is. And watch this, David for who he was called to be. Did you know it would be 17 years before David would hear the words that you are going to reign over Israel and the time that he would actually reign over Israel? So he heard the word, he had to protect the word, and he had to stay attached to his father in heaven. 
He had to recognize this. The second thing I would tell you this morning is oftentimes you'll find David with a repentant heart. So he first recognized who he was called to be. He heard the voice of the Lord, and then he repented when he didn't do things the way God had told him or called him to do. So Psalm 51, you just go read the Psalms. You know, create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The King David was always looking to God, but it doesn't mean that the flesh at times wouldn't look to overtake him. He just had to recognize and repent. And then the third thing is re-engage in his call. Many of us today, we've been frustrated. We've heard the voice of the Lord. God has called us to greater things. And what God is saying, hey, I've given you a way back to me. He does this in the book of Revelation as well. The church at Ephesus. You remember he says, hey, repent and and do the things you did at first. In other words, repeat, re-engage. Remember your passion that you had for the Lord. Don't lose that. Don't treat God as common, much less one another as common. Familiarity can lead us to a place of pride, church. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. If you've ever read that book, if you have not read that book, I want to encourage you to get it. But in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, a proud man is always looking down on things and on people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And what you will find is King David said, my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from where? The mountains. For my God, he never sleeps. We'll hear more about that here in just a moment. See, what happens to King Saul is he became so familiar with life that he started leading out of pride, out of flesh, out of his own abilities instead of God's ability. It's no longer the story of God, but it has become the story of Saul. When you study uh, the 23rd Psalm, what you'll see is it's all about God and God's story. Yeah, he makes me lie down beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. But it's all about God, and it's about David's life reflecting who his God is and making sure that he walks through in his call. But for King Saul, it was very different. King uh, one of the scriptures says, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. And all of us have kingdoms inside of his church. And what he wanted to, to be recognized for was his own kingdom. And we've got to be careful with the kingdoms that are within us that we feed. Are we feeding God's kingdom or are we feeding our own kingdom? How do we want to be remembered? I think all of us want to leave a legacy of some kind, but the truth is if our story does not tell the story of God, then we've missed it. He makes me lie down. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's where we have to find ourselves because King Saul, he goes down and he's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, you know, people need to remember me. I better build a monument, a statue. Looks like me. Mm, Let's make that sword a little longer. Let's make those biceps a little bit bigger, okay? I'm a little older now. Y'all just don't remember me when I was young. Let's make this thing look like me. I want the people to remember me. Saul listened to his own voice and instead of the voice of God. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and he has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry with King Saul and he cried to the Lord is what the scripture says all night one night. And this is easy to do. Saul thought that he had done this long enough. He was anointed. Surely this must be God's will. He was told to destroy everything about the Amalekites. He didn't. He kept some of the fatted calves and some of the sheep back for himself. He wouldn't listen to the Lord. I've done this before. I'm going to be okay. And yet when he was confronted, he said, oh yeah, I was going to sacrifice those to the Lord, by the way. I was just keeping those fatted calves. Just They're going to be uh, sacrificial animals. But that's not at all what his true intentions were. You see, in God's kingdom, it's not the strong, it's not the arrogant, it's not the prideful person that is able to inherit. The scripture makes clear that it's the meek that will inherit the earth. David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. It's all about God. You know, one of the things that I believe happened to King Saul is when you're at the top, sometimes it's lonely there. And he got to a place where he would only listen to his own voice. I had a wise young man come to me one day and he told me these words and I've never forgot him. He said, you know, I figured out I was wrong when I was the only one right. <laughs> Think on that with me. I figured out that I was wrong when I was the only one who was right. He became the only voice that he listened to. Loneliness causes us to get in a place where we listen to the wrong voices and oftentimes listen to our own voice. So this can be public enemy number one. It can be lonely in your jobs, in your position, in what you do. Many of you are school teachers. Many of you are educators in some way. Many of you are about to start and get very busy. Many of you have studied far more than anyone else. Counselors, you're about to be out there and you're going to have students right in front of you. Be careful to the voices that you listen to and especially don't just listen to your own voice. There was a time in my life when I was trying to write some curriculum for counseling because my thought was, that when people came to my office for marriage counseling or anything else, I'm going to start them with this verse, and then I'm going to go to this verse, and then I'm going to go to the next verse. And one day God convicted me. He said, you think all my creation's the same? You're trying to treat everyone as, as the same, but their thoughts aren't the same. I made each one as individuals. Why don't you listen to my spirit tell you what scripture ought to be in front of them instead of you trying to pin for everyone? See, we listen to our own voices. We do things our own way because we become way too familiar and familiarity can become a God if we're not careful, church. Who do you go to for counsel? You see, so oftentimes we go to someone we pay, we pay to care simply for this reason because if we don't pay them, it's not a safe place. You know, if you pay a therapist to go talk to a therapist, here's what you're paying for. Part of it is confidentiality. They can lose their license if they share anything you've shared with them. Well, the church is supposed to be a safe place, a place where God's at work. See, do you realize we speak to more people in a month through social media and other forms of communication than our grandparents did in a lifetime? And we live in one of the most loneliest times ever in the history of the world. And yet the world is far more populated today than any other time in the history of the world. 
Genesis 2 said it's not good for man to be alone. That's true. Oftentimes because of position, Saul, he was constantly on the move. He moved from Carmel to Gilgal to Tulane to Amalek. War would constantly put him on the move. And guess what? Our families today are moving. Did you know this? One out of every three to four families throughout the United States is going to move this year alone. That means a change of relationships. It also means a little bit more isolationism. And even though Saul was at the top, look, there was a time that he too would feel unneeded. He built this monument, this image out of his insecurities. And many of us want to feel wanted. We want to feel important. We want to feel needed. We ask the question, would anyone miss us if we were gone? Well, can I tell you something? They should. There's not a King David waiting to take your shoes. King David would lead much differently than King Saul. Two very different people in how they would lead. Look, people will miss you if you're gone. You are created to have an imagination, to have a dream, for God to birth something great in you. But you've got to ask yourself the question, just as 23rd Psalm makes the statement, the Lord is my shepherd. Is he or is he not? See, many are lonely because the buck stops with you. Imagine a surgeon that can only do what he does in Amarillo. Or a surgeon that she can only do what she does here in Amarillo. The demands, the people, the opportunity, it puts you in a lonely place. You're the only one that can run that scalpel the way you run it. Lawyers who are defending the innocent, those of you who must take a stand because it's the right thing to do, but it's not the popular thing to do. It puts you in a place of being by yourself. The buck may stop with you, but it doesn't have to. If King Saul would have just done those three things to recognize, to repent, and to re-engage with his God, spiritual loneliness can happen. The loneliness that happens when we walk away from God, when the, when the anointing is no longer there. St. Augustine said it this way. He said, my soul is restless, O God, until it finds rest in you. And then there are those who look to cope. You cope through handling the pain of being alone or lonely with drugs, alcohol, women, men, self-pity, running away, suicide. See, for Saul, it would be returning to war because he was familiar with war. If we had just learned to recognize, to repent, to re-engage, church. And finally, what about this one? You're out of your prime. I like to talk about that. <laughs> You're out of your prime. I can remember when we were coming to Amarillo to plant the church, I uh, was visiting with a couple of pastors, and they were vehement on me saying no. They said, you don't go. Here's why, Curtis. You're too old, because at that time I was 39. And they said, uh, Curtis, you're too old, and, and here's the problem. You're going to be 40 by the time you go and plant this church. And these guys were older than me, and they said, you're going to run out of your energy. You just need to stay where you are. You're out of your prime. And I was like, man, I don't want to be out of my prime. And now that's been several years ago. I hear you. 
The opportunity of a lifetime only lasts the lifetime of the opportunity. But look, too many of us quit too soon. You miss the mark. You don't finish the race. And now you're stressed because it seems like more life and more opportunities behind you than what's before you. Life does go by fast. And one day you will rock your child for the last time. You'll watch them in gymnastics for the last time. You'll see them in high school for the last time. You'll hold your wife or your husband for the last time. You'll breathe for the last time. It's kind of morbid. I know. (coughs) But you must make life count, church. It doesn't matter your prime. What matters is your time. And if, you have, if you're here this morning, you have time. God is the redeemer of all things, including time. And it could have been that way for King Saul if he would have recognized, repented, and reengaged in God's call for his life. David was told that he would reign, but like I said, it'd be 17 years before he would. Michelangelo said when he was a boy, he went to a master sculptor and he asked to be his student. The sculptor said this, this will take your life. And Michelangelo replied, what else is life for? Jesus said it this way. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's going to cost you something, but your time is valuable and it's worth something. And then there's this thing known as the temptation of of avoidance. The temptation of avoidance. You know, it's interesting to me because of all the things that King saw as you read about him that he avoided. He avoided God. But of all the things that you read about King David, King David did what? He ran to his God. Very, very different in the two. Because King Saul was very familiar with how God operated. He was very familiar with how the prophets operated operated. There was a time when he was waiting on Samuel. Some of you will remember this. He was waiting on Samuel the prophet to come and to do the sacrifice in order to tell him whether or not he was supposed to go into war. And he waited and he waited and the enemy encroached and got closer and closer until finally King Saul said this, I know how to do it. I'm not waiting on the prophet. Good land. He can't even get up in the mornings. But it was Samuel's call. It was not King Saul's call. And King Saul would go ahead and make the offering, and God did not bless that offering. So oftentimes, he avoided God instead of invited God. Many of us want to go around, over, under. We want to find a different way, but we're forced to go through the door. Do y'all remember singing that song? Too high, can't get over it. Too low, can't get under it. So wide, can't get around it. You got to go through the door. Okay. Saul begged Samuel to go with him, right? He begged Samuel to go with him for this reason. What will the people think? That's what he said. I just want the prophet there so that I look good because this is about my kingdom. It's not really about God's kingdom. You know, my mom told me many times, and my mom was a very pragmatic person if you knew her, and she told me many times, Curtis, just remember there are worse things than death. You just need to live your life. And you need to live your life for God. You know, um, a couple days ago I was praying. And it was Thursday. And Thursday was the 20th anniversary 
of a funeral I had done for a 16-year-old girl in the, involved in a car wreck. And I was a young pastor, believe it or not, then. Really young. I had no idea what to say. But you know what I do know? Is today I'm very familiar with that scenario. I, I've done so many funerals now that it's, it's very common for me to get a phone call and say, hey, would you do this funeral or, or this tragedy's happened or we need you at the hospital? I hear those things a lot. But back then, I didn't. And I remember where I was when I got the call, and I remember all the turmoil in our life. And some of you may remember it was Lane Mercer, and of course her mother and sister go to church here, and uh, it was a very, very difficult time. And I remember this about being a young pastor just as David was going to be a young king. I went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do I say? But even as a pastor, I've become so familiar that today something happens. I say, well, I can write a great funeral. And many times I don't, press in and push in to the Lord the way that I need to, to hear his voice on behalf of the family. You realize that when King Saul didn't do what he was supposed to do, what happened? It didn't just affect him. It impacted his old army. It says all the Israelites fled and ran and dropped their weapons. It makes a difference to hear from the Lord on behalf of others. There's an old hymn that states, Jesus walked that lonesome valley. He had to go there by himself. Nobody else could go there for him. He had to walk it by himself. And I believe this comes from John's gospel where he tells that he must go to Jerusalem. Jesus would be tempted, but he never avoided the temptation. He never avoided Jerusalem. He wept over it. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who will neither slumber nor sleep. When this was written, many times the people would travel and they had sentinels in front of them and the sentinels would go up on the mountaintops, but they would still, the people oftentimes got raided because the sentinels fell asleep. And here David says, my sentinel never sleeps. That's where his help came from. Sometimes we walk through the pain of disappointment. J. Wallace Hamilton said, every person's life is a diary in which he or she means to write one story and yet is forced oftentimes to write another. You know, life doesn't always go the way that we anticipate it should. But here's the cool thing. We all can recognize where we all are. We can all repent and we can all re-engage with our God. Repentance is a gift that He's given us to continue to walk and to hear from Him in order for His kingdom to be established and for us to influence His people in a positive way. We don't want our people to drop their swords and run. We want to see more people picking up the sword of the Spirit and defeating Satan on behalf of one another and expanding God's kingdom. Life doesn't always look like the way you want it to look. It didn't look the way that King Saul wanted it to look, but that's because King Saul quit pressing into his God. And he became too familiar with his soldiers. He became too familiar with the kingdom. He became too familiar with the prophets. He became too familiar with the word of God. And because he was too familiar, he could no longer be conformed into the image of who he was called to be. So God had David. And David would do things just the opposite. He was told he was going to be king, and yet he was pressed in the caves of Agilom. Life doesn't always go the way we want it to go, or our expectations disillusion us. Beethoven lost his hearing. Can you imagine Beethoven losing his hearing? 
That's the gift he's given. Pater became a paralytic. Helen Keller was deaf, blind, and unable to speak. The apostle Paul wanted to go to Spain, but instead he was placed in a prison in Rome. But were they defeated by their disappointments? Absolutely not. The cross is all about turning defeats into victories. Leslie Weatherhead said it this way, the cross looked like defeat to the disciples. It was called defeat by the world. It felt like defeat to Jesus, but God has made it his greatest victory. And if we'll just recognize, repent, and re-engage, it will be the greatest victory in our life as well. We must recognize that disappointments come. Don't blame others for our misfortune. Go on with life, living one day at a time. Trust God that He is with us and that He goes before us. Church, recognize, repent, and repeat. When you compare these two, they are very, very different. One would ultimately be rejected by God. The other one in Scripture, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, is called a man after God's own heart. That's the one I want to be. And that's the one I want to encourage you to be this morning. Would you please stand? There's three application points this morning, and I hope that each one of you on camera who are out there watching as well as all of us in here that we heard this. We've got to re-engage. Life is about to speed up for many of us as we know it, but we cannot do life apart from God. We must re-engage with Him. And if we haven't, we can all repent. We can all repent. Repentance is a gift to us, which simply means, God, not my way. I want your way. I want to hear your voice for my life, for my family's life, for all those who I have the sphere of influence over so that they won't drop their weapons and flee from the enemy, but they will take up their weapons and go with me to defeat an enemy and to set up your kingdom here upon this earth. And that's re-engaging, just simply re-engaging in what he's called us to be and become for Amarillo, Texas as his church and throughout the world. I'm going to ask for the prayer team to make their way forward this morning. And if you would like to, to come forward and receive prayer, I want to encourage you to do so. I want you to think about what it looks like for you to re-engage this morning, to start envisioning about the fall, the spring, the summer, and how you can make a difference for God's kingdom here upon this earth because He's calling all of us to be the difference for a world that needs to see the difference. They need to see the difference in us, men and women after God's own heart. Father God, thank You for each one here this morning. Lord, we pray that we will be the difference, that our faith will be a real faith. Lord, that we would preach Your Word because it's living and active. And Father, that you would send us to a world that desperately needs you and we would make a difference in setting up your kingdom upon this earth. In your name, amen.